The New York City Marathon happens every year on the first Sunday of November. It is, without a doubt, one of the coolest events of the year, something that the entire city comes out for. It has long been a dream of mine to run it, and this past week, that dream was realized. After 17 years of wishing, a year of planning, and six months of intense training, I ran the New York City Marathon. And it may not be immediately obvious, but I think the marathon has a lot to do with marketing, or at least there are lessons that can be applied to what we do marketing our restaurants. Don't believe me? Stick around for my top 10 takeaways from this year's race. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who can see when shown, and those who will never see. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for everyone in the middle. Well, hey, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly marketing podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. So each week, I choose a different topic. We explore that topic. We pick it apart. Hopefully, we come across some useful insights, and then we always finish up with an assignment. I leave you with a short, actionable task, something you can do right away to start implementing the concepts we talk about here on the show, because I believe information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, for those of you out there who don't live in New York, let me explain a little bit about this race. Marathon Sunday is a big deal here in the city, like an unofficial holiday for us New Yorkers. It is like nothing you've ever experienced. 50,000 people run it every year, and more than a million people line the streets to cheer on the racers. Famously, it's a tour through all five boroughs of the city. It starts in Staten Island, runs over the Verrazano Bridge, which is the largest, longest suspension bridge in the entire United States. It's nearly two miles across. So you go from Staten Island to Brooklyn, all the way up through Brooklyn into Queens, then into Manhattan, up to the Bronx. Then you turn back around and head back into Manhattan, all the way down into Central Park, where the race finishes. People make signs and cheer on the thousands of people racing by. Marching bands and church choirs entertain the crowd. It was always fun to go out and cheer on the crowds. And this year, I was on the other side of it all. And it was an incredible experience on that side as well, one that I will never forget. It was also probably the single hardest thing I've ever done in my life, which made the finish that much sweeter. As I was out on the course, I had a lot of time to think. Four hours and some change, actually, and and I haven't always been a runner. It's something I've really uh, just started over the past nine or ten years. But one of the things I love most is the solitude, the uninterrupted time uh, I have to be alone with my thoughts. Um, So much of what I do in my business requires creativity and outside-the-box thinking, and that sort of thing takes time. You can't just sit down and make it happen. Connections occur, for me at least, when the mind uh, has time to breathe, and I find that the time I spend running is perfect for that. So with four plus hours to think, I did just that. I let my mind wander and I began to make connections, uh, strangely enough, between the marathon and marketing. And if that sounds insane, let me walk you through the 10 things that struck me last Sunday as I was out on the course. 10 marketing lessons I learned from running the New York City Marathon. Before we get started though, I just want to say that I've created a workbook to accompany this week's episode. 
So there are 10 questions that go along with the 10 areas I'm going to discuss on this episode. And I think you'll find this exercise particularly helpful. So please go download the workbook now and print it out. You can find it at chipclose.com slash marathon. That's C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E dot com slash marathon. So number one, less than half of 1% of the world's population has completed a marathon. That fact is only just now starting to hit me, but I'm now part of a very select group, a a unique set of athletes, and the same is true in hospitality. Those of us who work in the field are part of a select group. We make our living doing something that many other people couldn't do. We take care of others. And in return, we get access to some of the greatest things on the planet. We get an education, we get access to foods and wines and flavors that most people only dream about. I've tasted an 82 Lafitte. I've been able to enjoy Alba White truffles. I've had A5 Miyazaki Wagyu beef and 90 Krug. We get pampered when we go out to other restaurants because maybe someone spots our name on the reservation list. Uh, They recognize that we are one of them. And so maybe we get the best table in the house. Or we score a reservation that regular people would never get because we know the general manager, or because our chef calls ahead for us. Just like runners have their own little club, so do service professionals. And I think we should take pride in that. Just like I pride myself on having completed the marathon, I also pride myself on my resume, the people I've worked with, the restaurants I've opened, the things I've accomplished in my life. We're also part of a group of small business owners, an ecosystem that makes up a good chunk of our economy. And I want you to take pride in that as well. You opened a business and you employ people. The jobs you provide allow people to support their family and accomplish their goals in life. We are part of a select group of people, a community. So embrace that. Enjoy that. It is one of the things I've loved most about launching this podcast, getting to connect with all of you guys out there, a community of restaurant owners and operators, passionate individuals who do this because they have something to say and because they love taking care of people. Number two, the second thing I learned uh, out when I was running the marathon, doing anything big takes planning. So I moved to New York City in September of 2002 with my wife, who at that time was still my girlfriend, and we found an apartment on the Upper East Side. And I know it sounds fancy, but I assure you our apartment was far from glamorous. Sure, there are a lot of fancy buildings up there, but our place was just a tiny one bedroom in a rundown little walk-up way over by the East River. We knew nothing of the marathon back then and so didn't realize that the race runs up First Avenue from 59th Street all the way up to the Willis Avenue Bridge at 126th Street where the runners cross over from Manhattan into the Bronx. So if you live anywhere east of First Avenue, you are stuck until the race is over. Or, of course, you could walk all the way down to 57th Street to avoid the course altogether. But we, uh, we lived at 82nd Street, and so we had resigned ourselves to a quiet afternoon just around our apartment. So that first year, we went over to watch the race, and I can remember getting caught up in the energy of it all. So they tell the runners to write their names somewhere on their shirt, and it's so that the crowd can call out to you throughout the race. Come on, Nathan, you can do it. Get after it, Amy. You got this. And so we did the same. We called out to runners as they went by to try and give them some motivation. And that's actually when I decided that this thing was going onto my bucket list. So the dream for me started some 17 years ago. And when my son went into preschool last year, 
I knew I finally have the time to train properly. So it was more than a year of planning and six months of rigorous training. That's four runs a week plus cross training on my off days and a long run every Sunday morning to stretch out my mileage. But a dream alone is not enough to carry you. To make it a reality, you must write that shit down and make a plan. Then push yourself to stick to it. So many restaurant owners dream of owning their own place one day, but don't have the fortitude to make it a success. Being your own boss means there's no one to watch over you, no one to hold you accountable. No one no one cares if your restaurant is successful, certainly not the way that you do. You are the one who benefits from its success, and so it's up to you to put in the hard work to ask the hard questions. Doing anything big takes planning. That's the second thing I learned when I was out on the course. Number three, right? Now, with all that being said, and it sounds ridiculous to even say this out loud, but even with all that training, I still underestimated how hard the marathon was going to be. In the end, it crushed me, which is crazy. Of course it was going to be hard. Of course it was going to crush me. It's the New York City Marathon. 10% of the runners who start the race don't even finish. It's that hard. And yet there I was on mile 20 and 21, just over the bridge in the Bronx, thinking I was going to die. So when you hear the statistics that four out of five new restaurants fail, that's not a made-up number. That's hard data proven true year after year after year. Stay humble and expect the worst. Planning is about training right, and putting yourself in the best possible position to succeed. But planning is also required so you can protect your investment, plan for issues, problems, get good at looking for flaws in your thinking, safeguard against the downside. If there's anything that I felt I did wrong going into the marathon, it is that I underestimated how difficult it was going to be. Do not underestimate how difficult it is going to be to do something big like open your own restaurant. Number four, so there I am out on the course. Everyone says, just trust your training. Just run the pace you ran when you trained. And so I was doing that, working hard to run the marathon in under four hours. And around mile 20, I started cramping up. I started getting a Charlie horse in my hamstring, then in my calves. It had never happened before. And it quickly became clear that there was no way I was going to hit my goal. So from then on out, I just focused on finishing. And I know it sounds obvious, but the only way to get to the finish line is to just put one foot in front of the other, step after step, and eventually you'll reach your destination. Now the same is true with marketing your restaurant. You come up with a plan, you lay it all out, and then all you can do is focus on one thing at a time. What's next? Do that. What comes after that? Good. And next, and next, and next, bit by bit it will get done and you get closer to where you're going. That's number four. Number five, so like I was saying at the top of the show, there is nothing like the energy of Marathon Sunday in New York City. 50,000 people run the race every year, and more than a million come out to line the streets cheering on the runners. I cannot even describe what it was like to run up First Avenue in Manhattan with thousands of people on either side of the road cheering you on. It's like a ticker tape parade all for you the entire way up. So looking at it in terms of marketing, the event served two important audiences, the runners and the spectators. And the marathon wouldn't be what it is if you removed either one of those groups. The event gets all the attention because of the large crowds that run it, 
and the even larger crowds that come out to cheer on the runners. In many ways, the marathon not only serves two audiences, but matches up the two audiences. The event takes on a sort of mystique. People come out just to see what all the fuss is about, to become part of the energy of it all. And that becomes infectious. So then how does this lesson apply to your business? Well, the marathon is basically acting as an old school impresario, connecting two disparate groups that desperately need each other. So think of music festivals like Coachella or Lollapalooza or South by Southwest connecting musicians and music lovers. Or trade shows like the Really Big Chocolate Show and others, helping small batch producers hook up with retailers. So what audience do you serve or audiences? How can you play matchmaker and use your restaurant as the thing that helps get them together? Now, we're at the halfway mark, and so I wanted to remind you about the workbook for this week's episode. I've heard from a bunch of you who said the workbooks in the early episodes were really helpful, so I'm going to try to be better about uh, about providing workbooks moving forward, uh, some kind of a resource that goes along with the episode. For this episode, go download the PDF, print it out, and do the assignment at the end of the episode. So once again, you can find it at chipclose.com marathon. Now, number six. There will be issues that arise, unforeseen setbacks. So on Saturday night before the big race, I went out for a big pasta dinner with my wife and my son. We went to Carmine's in Times Square. I'm always talking about that place on the show. It has been years since I'd gone myself, uh, but it's like this mecca for runners the night before uh, the big race. And so I was dying for their eggplant parmesan and the penne alla vodka. So we got seated, we placed our order, and I was goofing around with my son and he poked me in the eye. And it was bad. He scratched my eye, officially diagnosed as a corneal abrasion. And if this has happened to anyone listening, you guys know how painful it can be. It's painful to keep your eye open, and it's even more painful to close your eye because the the eyelid ends up rubbing against the scratch. It was awful. All the planning, all the training, all of it got thrown out the window because I now had to deal with this new issue that had suddenly presented itself the night before the New York City Marathon. It wouldn't stop tearing, and my eyes swelled up like crazy. And I kept telling him it was okay, that it was just an accident, but the poor kid felt so bad. So we ate our dinner, skipped dessert, and we went straight home. And I was planning on an early bedtime anyway, but it it didn't matter. It was so painful, uh, I could hardly sleep. In fact, the night before the marathon, I got less than two hours of sleep. That's right, I ran a 26-mile race on less than two hours of sleep. And so I was faced with a choice going into the race. How was I going to respond to this incident, this setback? Throw in the towel, scrap the race, or push through and find a way to deal with it? This happens in our daily lives as well, and certainly, certainly in our business. A server no-shows, or a cook walks out, or a snowstorm wipes out an entire weekend of business, and we are faced with the hard choice. The key is in how you react, what you do in that moment. How do you handle those setbacks? Now, Number seven, the question is, do you want it badly enough? Because setbacks are going to come up. If you do want it badly enough, you'll make it a priority to overcome those setbacks. Liz Gilbert once said this on her podcast, the secret to doing anything important is this. You don't find the time, you make the time. So you'll set aside resources and make sacrifices in other areas of your life. Dream it, write it down, make a plan, and then hold yourself accountable That's how a dream becomes a reality. Setbacks are there to test you, to blow you off course. The question is, do you know where you're going? Can you pull yourself 
back on track. If you've set yourself up right, you'll be able to find your true north time and time again. You'll know it in your bones, and so it'll be easy to find. But if you're wishy-washy about where you're headed, then you're going to be sunk. It's like what Danny Meyer wrote about in his book, Setting the Table. We've talked about this in the past. Staff, patrons, everyone will try to move the salt shaker off center. Your job is to simply move it back to center. Remind people time and time again where center is, where your true north is. Like I said earlier in this podcast, doing anything important takes planning. Of course it does. But it also takes a certain amount of sacrifice. You have to decide what you're willing to sacrifice for your dreams, for your business, for your family. What are you willing to do to make your life, to make your business a success? Now, number eight, advice is only worth so much. I got advice from tons of people and heeded nearly all of the advice I got. And still, it couldn't fully prepare me for how difficult it was going to be to run the marathon. I heard the bridges were tough. They were. I was told to be prepared for mile 20. I thought I was. I was not. I was told to hydrate throughout, so I did. I was told to hold back in the beginning so that the adrenaline didn't push me too fast. And I realized later that I did not take this advice. The advice is only valuable if you put it into action. This podcast is all about action. Each episode ends with an assignment and then continuing education. And I did that purposefully. It's not enough just to listen and nod along. It's not enough to just absorb these things. You have to take the things you learn and put them into practice. Of course, the flip side of this is to always ask for advice. Information is free. And so when it came to the marathon, I just thought, well, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm going to ask as many people as possible for advice. So be willing to admit that you don't know something. Be willing to admit you need help. Information is free. And so even if you discard that advice later, it literally cost you nothing to get the advice. And who knows? You might just get the exact advice you need. Number nine, never say never. So I was out there on the course. I got to mile, let's say 23. And all I could think was, no way. No way am I ever going to do this again. I was in real pain. I was out of breath and starting to cramp. Plus, I was getting a Charlie horse in my right hamstring. My heels were starting to hurt. And I felt like I could barely go on. I couldn't imagine ever putting my body through this again. I even said to my wife after the race, that was awful. Please don't ever let me sign up for another one. And then a few days went by and I thought, well, I didn't hit the time I wanted to hit. And now I have a better understanding of the marathon experience. I know what to expect. I think I can come out stronger next time, pace myself better, and maybe even get sub four hours like I wanted to. Ask me today and I would absolutely do it again. In fact, I can't wait to get back out there. But the lesson is, never say never. Things change. Storms pass. We learn from experience and come out stronger on the other side. Which brings us finally to number 10. Community is everything. The best part of the marathon is the community. It brings people together in a way that very few other events can. It creates a unique experience that, that cannot be duplicated anywhere else in the world except New York City on the first Sunday in November. Make it so that your business does the same. Provide an experience that can't be gotten anywhere else. Bring a community together in a way that can't be done anywhere else, in a unique way. Do it so that they think of you first, so that they book with you time and time again, so that they bring their friends to the restaurant and talk about the experience. 
Now, when I think back to the, the marathon last week, um, the, the community of runners on Marathon Sunday is, is what sticks out in my mind. It was incredible. In fact, um, my cousin ran the marathon a couple of years ago, and so she was one of the people that I asked for advice, and she said, if you're listening to music, if you're listening to your headphones, do yourself a favor. Before you get on the 59th Street Bridge, uh, take out your headphones. So the, the Queensboro Bridge that runs across 59th Street runs from Queens into Manhattan. And uh, when you come there on First Avenue, it's like nothing you've ever experienced. And this is what my cousin was telling me. She said, you've got all these crowds cheering you on all the way through Brooklyn, all the way through uh, Queens. And you get to the bridge, and there are no uh, pedestrians. There's no spectators allowed on the bridge. And so it's totally quiet. People have been cheering like crazy, and now all of a sudden, it's totally quiet. And so suddenly, the thousands of runners that are on the bridge with you at the same time that you're on there, you guys have this shared experience. So people started calling out, like, come on now, come on, let's hear it, cheer up. And everybody would call out, and they'd cheer. Um, and it was just the runners having this shared experience. And then as you get up to the top of the bridge and then down towards the bottom, you can hear the crowd below. There are literally thousands of people down on First Avenue. It's the, it's the most populated part of, of the whole course. Uh, the, most, um, the most people that you're going to find in one area is right at 59th Street from, let's say, 59th Street up to like 89th Street. And you can hear the sound. They're ringing cowbells. They're making noise. They're screaming. And so as you come off the uh, the exit ramp from the bridge down onto First Avenue and you come under the, underpa- uh, the overpass, um, it, it's echoing all over the place. There was nothing like that experience. It was the community screaming you on, right? That community of spectators then, right? So over the bridge, it was just that community of runners. But then when we came out onto First Avenue, it was the community of spectators, right? So for the spectators who were in the stands just cheering on the runners, you make friends with the people cheering next to you. You you end up grabbing beers with the strangers after you've all seen your loved ones race by. It is the very best of New York on display for anyone who wants to be a part of the experience. And our business is also all about people. Our business is about bringing them together, taking care of them, providing the place for them to celebrate and connect. It's a real thing and not to be diminished. What we do is very special. Remember that, cherish that, and put it on display. Like I say over and over and over again, it's all about serving an audience, building a community, and providing a home for that community. Just like the runners and the spectators need the marathon to bring them together, your restaurant can be the thing that brings together different groups. Winemakers and collectors, butchers and steak lovers, taco wizards and true taco connoisseurs. Whatever it is, See yourself as the conduit, the kitchen table, the place where people come to meet and celebrate and connect and enjoy. Now, for your assignment this week, I want you to go download that workbook, the one that goes along with this episode, and spend just 20 minutes answering the 10 questions that I've laid out. There are only 10, and they correspond directly to the 10 areas that we discussed on today's show. Once again, you can find that workbook at chipclose.com marathon. Again, that's C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E dot com slash marathon. And then for this week's continuing education, I've linked to uh, Haruki Murakami's book, What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. It's a memoir of sorts. Uh, Obviously, he's this uh, very, very famous Japanese uh, novelist. uh, And this is one of his nonfiction books, a memoir all about his experience running marathons. He's run dozens of marathons over the years. I think he's run the New York City Marathon three or four times. Um, It's a book about writing and running and 
uh, more than that. It's about life. Um, he just distills down his entire experience into this uh, into this one novel or into this one memoir. It's uh, it's so so good. Uh, it's well worth your read. Um, if you're a runner, you'll you'll have a different layer. If you're a writer or an artist, it brings on another layer. But if you're just a person, somebody who creates, somebody who's in the world doing uh, what they're passionate about, um, it's really a book about passion. So again, uh, go download the workbook, do this assignment, the 10 questions uh, that go along with these 10 different areas. Uh, I thank you for uh, for tuning in uh, this week and every week. Uh, if you haven't done so, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you feel so inclined, leave a rating or a review. It just helps us uh, boost our ratings, which helps us find a broader audience. Uh, this community is all about restaurant professionals, uh, pulling chefs, uh, owners, managers, operators, pulling all of us together to have a, a broader conversation about uh, what it means to be to be running a restaurant and what it means to be in the restaurant industry uh, in this day and age. Thank you so much for being part of my community. I really appreciate it. I will see you next time.